But we are starting a brand new series today looking at the character of God, the character of God. And so it's, it's based on a key verse where God is, is speaking with Moses uh, and he describes himself with five characteristics. So let me just give you a bit of context before we get to the verse. So the Israelites have escaped from Egypt and they're now in the wilderness. So they've been rescued by God. They've been invited into a covenant with him. They've received the Ten Commandments. They've been given the plans uh, to create the tabernacle, this place of, of worshipping God. And do you know, if you know anything about the story of the Israelites, they have this very up and down journey. They have moments where they're really heart and passionate for God and moments where it just looks like they don't even know he exists. And so they're on this roller coaster journey of faith. They're happy in one day and then they're moaning the next. They're following God on one day and then they're worshipping idols the next. And so in this moment for this verse... Moses has literally just finished being up on Mount Sinai, pleading with God that he would not bring destruction on the people uh, of Israel and that he would forgive them from their time when they've been worshipping idols and he would just bring grace on them and show them love. And he comes down from the mountain and what does he witness? They're worshipping a golden idol that they have created. I mean, can you imagine that man's frustration in that moment? He's literally been on his knees begging God, don't bring destruction. There is some good in these people. And then he comes down and he finds them doing this. And he's holding the Ten Commandment tablets and he throws them on the ground in frustration and they smash. And then he gets this golden calf and he destroys it. And it says that he crushes it down to powder and he mixes it with water and he makes them drink it. He's just had enough of their behavior. He's had absolutely had enough. And so as we get to this verse, Moses is back up on Mount Sinai having another conflab with God. And in this moment, he makes a bold request. He makes this bold request to God. He says, can I see you? You know, we're having a conversation. He's hearing God audibly and he's like, but I'd really like it if I could see you. Can I get a glimpse of you? And God says to him, listen, you can't see me and live. And so we're not going to do that. If you see me, you will die. So we're not going to do that. But what I'll do is I'll, I'll pass by you. You go and hide yourself. I'll pass by and then you can catch a glimpse of me from behind. And that will be enough for you to get a taste of my glory. And then in that moment, as God is passing by Moses, he says this in Exodus 34 verse 6. It says, and he passed, as he passed in front of Moses, he proclaimed, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. Compassionate, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. And so we're going to be looking at these five characteristics, five weeks, five characteristics, one at a time. You know, we are to be like God. That is uh, our purpose as followers of Jesus, that we should become more and more like God every day. We should be striving, we should be pushing, we should be learning, we should be growing so that we can become more like God, so that we can have this godly character. And so we're going to look at these five characteristics and try to understand how we can apply them to our lives so that we can become more like God. And so this morning my message is titled, A Heart of Compassion. 
And compassion means a sympathetic conscientiousness of others' distress, together with, and that is really important, together with a desire to alleviate it. In the Hebrew, this word compassion is related to the Hebrew word for womb. And so it's this, it's this idea of something that is in the very core, core of our being. It's right-centered in our very songs. It's this, it's this imagery of uh, a mother's compassion, a mother's uh, emotion for this vulnerable infant. That's this idea that this word is trying to evoke within us. It's an intense emotion that is sometimes translated as to be deeply moved. Is something right within us to be deeply moved. And there's this story in the Bible of King Solomon, and he meets two women, both of whom who have just given birth, and yet one of these children has died. And so they've come to King Solomon, and they're both claiming that the baby that is still living is theirs. And so King Solomon, in all his wisdom, he makes this suggestion. He says, okay, what we'll do is we'll cut this baby in half, and you can have half, and you can have half. Everybody's happy. Now, that seems a tad extreme in this situation, but Solomon is wise. Solomon is wise, and we see why in the response of the real mother, and you can find this in 1 Kings, because the mother of that baby drops on her knees in compassion for this vulnerable infant. And she says, let her have it. Let her have this baby. It's her compassion. It's this emotion in the very core of her being that deeply moves her and reveals that she is the true mother. And so that's this idea of compassion. That's the the kind of the basis for this word compassion. And now we're going to look at a story that is really well known. Many of you will will know it. You've probably heard it preached many times. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. And we're going to just kind of use this to frame our understanding of how we can apply this, this characteristic of compassion to our lives. And so we're going to read from Luke chapter 10. And it says this. <coughs> And behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your strength and your mind, and you should love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus said to him, You've answered correctly, Do this and you will live. And so this lawyer is putting Jesus to the test and trying to understand how it is that he can inherit eternal life. And Jesus asks him, well, you tell me. Why should I tell you? You tell me. And so he gives the the perfect answer, the right answer, the answer that is in line with the Old Testament. This is what I should do. And Jesus says, yes, now go and do it. You don't just know it. Go and do it. Don't just feel it. Do something about it. So just hold that thought while we read on. But desiring to justify himself, he said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And then Jesus replied with this story. 
He says, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down the road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But then a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him, and he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, and he gave it to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. And then Jesus asks this lawyer, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, now you go and do likewise. Go and do it. Don't just know it, go and do it. And so they're having this interaction. They're having this this conversation about how they should inherit eternal life. And so the answer is, here is the law. This is what the Bible says. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Do this and you'll live. Do this, stick to these rules and you will inherit eternal life. And then Jesus goes on to uh, share this story, emphasizing the importance. And it's this story of a man who is so moved by compassion. And then Jesus closes the conversation with, now go and do likewise. Go and do this thing that we have been talking about. And so we're going to look at a few things that compassion is that compassion does, that compassion needs. And my first point is this, true compassion demands action. True compassion demands action. Now, I think it's possible that in our culture today, we have become desensitized to pain. We have become desensitized to suffering. You know, there is so much hurt and pain and brokenness in the world that we are living in today. All you need to do is open up a newspaper or switch on the news and it is filled with devastation. And so when you're on your phone and you're scrolling through Facebook in those hours when you should be sleeping in bed and you come across those posts about droughts in Ethiopia and gang violence in Haiti and poverty and hunger and all of this stuff, or when you see something or hear something or read something maybe closer to home about the cost of living crisis or loneliness or poor mental health or the rise in suicide rates because of all that stuff, it doesn't shock us like it used to. It doesn't move us like it used to. You know, Facebook added a care button. It used to be just liking something and then they introduced, oh, you can love it or you can laugh at it. Well, then they introduced this care button. And so now you can come across this post about something that's absolutely devastating in the world and you press and hold and you select care and you think, there we go. I've had compassion about that thing and I'm going to carry on scrolling through Facebook to look at some cat videos or a story about someone we don't even know anymore. Or it comes on the news 
And we think that's a bit miserable, isn't it? And we change the channel to something a little bit lighthearted. And we forget about it. You know, we talk about how kids go through phases in the things that they love and the passions that they have. And that is absolutely true. I can't keep on top of what it is that my boys are excited about. One week it's Pokemon and the next week it's something else and the next week it's something else. And they they go through these phases. But we as adults do the same thing when it comes to stuff like this. We get on our high horse about one thing and we're like, yes, I'm going to shout about this thing. You know, even just look at the past two, three years. We were all shouting about the Me Too movement, about the importance of equal rights for women. Yes, that's important. And we were all shouting about how black lives matter. And then we were all talking and praying about the war in Ukraine and Russia. And yet, as one thing comes, we forget about the thing before it. And then the next thing comes and we forget about the other thing. But they're still going on. They're still important. They should still be shocking us and moving us into action, into compassion. And it won't be long before something else comes along that makes us forget about the war that's going on in Gaza. But it'll still be raging on. But we'll have moved on to the next thing that we're passionate and exciting about, that we're praying about, that we're putting our support and effort into. You know, it's got to the point in our lives where we're even looking to pain and devastation and brokenness for our viewing pleasure. And not just disaster movies, but there is such a rise in the popularity of true crime documentaries where we're dramatizing the devastation of people like Jeffrey Dahmer and the stuff that has gone on in the world. And we're using that for pleasure. This is now what we're finding enjoyment in. This is what is happening to our world, that we are just becoming desensitized to the pain in our world. And I know that that is a sweeping generalization to say that we are all like that. I know that you are not like that in the slightest. But whilst we might find the news uh, and devastation around us emotionally moving, it might stir us a little bit. Compassion is more than just an emotion. Compassion is more than an emotion. Compassion shows sympathy. Compassion gives support. Compassion demonstrates sacrifice. Compassion is passion with a heart. Compassion is where we begin to put feet to our feelings. It moves us from just a feeling into action. It's not enough to just feel. We've got to do something about it. Jesus didn't just tell this story so that that lawyer would think, oh yeah, okay, that's a good story. He said, now go and do it. Don't just know it, go and do this thing that we are talking about. When it comes to the character of God, the scriptures tell us that he is full of compassion. And when it comes to the scriptures, it tells us about Jesus, that he was moved by compassion. And so in order to be godly, we are to be full of compassion. In order to be Christ-like, we are to be moved by compassion. And I can guarantee that if you are filled with compassion, you will be moved by compassion. 
In 1 John 3.17 it says, If someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? How can God's love be in that person? Now, gents, maybe you struggle to relate to this, this visualization of the womb and the, the mother's love. Well, maybe you can relate a little bit more to this analogy because another translation puts that verse. But whoever has this world's good and sees his brother have need and yet shuts up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwells the love of God in him? Now that's taken from the Greek translation of compassion, which means to have your bowels yearn. Now let me tell you something about bowels, biologically speaking. When something happens on the inside, when there's a feeling going on on the inside, there's going to be some action on the outside. Are you hearing me? Men, we're going to the men's conference next week and there is going to be amazing worship. There is going to be incredible teaching. We're going to be in a room filled with men praising and worshipping God. But I know you're all looking forward to Friday night's curry at Akbar's. And so Saturday will come and there will be some feelings going on inside. There will be some uncomfortableness, maybe some beads of sweat dripping down your face the next day. And we know that when you got to go, you got to go. And as gross as this analogy is, and I'm going to stop it soon, I promise, is that this idea of the bowels of compassion is describing something that is moving in the depths of our being. And so action is going to come. It's not just a feeling. It's not just an emotion. It has to bring an action. But this scripture that we've just read, it says, when you've got the ability to be a blessing, when you recognize that you have been so blessed by God that you have everything you could possibly need to help out a brother or a sister who you see struggling And yet you shut up those bowels of compassion. You block them off and don't let anything flow. How can you say the love of God is in you? If you don't help when you can help, how can you say you love God? When we get caught up in this self-centered, me-focused, as long as I've got everything that I need, I don't care about anyone else's needs, then maybe what's going on is you're suffering from constipated compassion. And you need to get yourself some x and get some things moving in your life. We've got to get moving because it's not just an emotion going on inside. It has to bring about action. And I promise I'm going to drop the analogy now. We have to see action. It can't just remain in us. And as we look through the scriptures, we see that Jesus did not have this problem. He did not have this problem. You know, we're talking about the character of God. And if you want to know what God looks like, you just need to look at Jesus. Just read the Jesus story. And he said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So if we want to be like God, we've just got to look to Jesus. And he lived and breathed compassion. 
Matthew 14, 14. Jesus went ashore and he saw a great crowd and it says he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. He didn't say, I'm praying for you and then carry on walking on his journey. Maybe that's what the priest did. Maybe that's what the Levite did as they were walking down the road and they saw this guy beaten and broken and lying half dead. Oh, that's sad. I'll pray for you. Some of us guilty of that. Maybe some of us feeling a little bit uncomfortable. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. I I absolutely believe in the power of prayer. I 100% that we should be praying first about everything. When challenging circumstances come, pray. When you find yourself struggling because of some situation, pray. 100%. We should be praying first in all things because our God is powerful. And when we pray, he will move. But sometimes we've got to get off our butts and actually do something. Saying I'm praying for you is not enough. When Jesus fed the 5,000, he said to his disciples, I have compassion on the crowd. And he did something about it. When he saw two blind men sitting by the road and they cried out to him, Lord, have mercy on us. He had compassion. He touched their eyes and immediately they received their sight. He did something. When the leper came up to him asking to be made clean, it says, moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and the man was made clean. Compassion was met with action. In Luke 7, Jesus enters a town and he encounters a widow and her only son had just died. And it says that when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. Then he spoke to the son saying, young man, I say to you, arise. And the man sat up and began to walk. Compassion, action, compassion, action, compassion, action. True compassion demands action. And my second point is this, compassion interrupts. Compassion interrupts. In this story that Jesus told, it says this, But a Samaritan man, as he journeyed, came to where he was and saw this man, and he had compassion, and he went to help him. Now, I don't think, even though this is just a story, it's just a parable, I don't think that this Samaritan man was out on a walk looking for someone to help. It says, as he journeyed, he had somewhere to go. He had places to be. He had people to see. He was on a journey. He was on a mission. He was going somewhere. But when he saw this man in need, he dropped everything and he went to help. He dropped everything in that moment and he went to help. The Samaritan man was interrupted by his compassion and that brought him to action. Jesus wasn't just teaching this principle either. He lived it out. He lived it out. In Mark 6, Jesus and his disciples, they'd been so busy in their ministry that they hadn't even had time to eat, it says, And so Jesus calls his disciples together and he says, look guys, we've been working so hard. We just need to go and get a bit of R&R. Let's get some space. Just take some time out. Enjoy yourselves for a little bit and then we'll get cracking again. But it says in the scripture that as they were just about to go and have some rest, as they were just about to go and take some time out, 
and recuperate from all their hard work. A crowd saw them and ran after them. They literally chased Jesus down. And it says that when Jesus saw them, he had compassion on them. And he began to teach them many things. Jesus just wanted a rest. He was still a man like you and I. Even though he was fully God, he was still fully human. And so he wanted to have a rest. In fact, in this moment in time, he just found out that his cousin, John the Baptist, had been beheaded. And so he was probably needing some time to grieve a little bit too. And so he was like, okay, guys, let's get some rest. Get some food in you. Have a nap. Just chill out for a little bit. And then this crowd comes and his, his compassion interrupts his plans. In Mark chapter 2, there's this crazy example of the same thing where Jesus is in his home, it says, and he's teaching people and the house is so full, no one can get in. And then these four guys, they bring this paralyzed man to Jesus so he can be healed. But they can't get inside because the house is so full of people hearing Jesus' teachings. And so they think, I know what we'll do. We'll climb up onto his roof and we'll bust a hole through it to lower this man down to Jesus. Can you imagine on a Sunday morning, I'm preaching from the platform and the roof tiles begin to fall in because someone is breaking in to get my attention. Jesus was interrupted in this moment. And yet, what does he do? He stops what he's doing. He pauses his teaching because something more important is about to happen. And he forgives this man's sins. And he says to him, why don't you get up and walk? And the man gets up and he picks up his mat and he walks completely healed. You know, we may have plans for our afternoon. I don't know what you've got cooking at home. Maybe you're going out for some dinner. We've got plans for our afternoon. Or maybe you've got plans for the week ahead. Or maybe you've got plans for that money that you've been saving for a rainy day. Or maybe you've got plans for what's going on in your future. But what if compassion interrupts and then those plans begin to change? What are you going to do in that moment when you're met with the man lying at the side of the road, beaten and broken and naked and left for dead? Are you going to walk past and praying for your brother and get on with what you've got planned? Or are you going to allow compassion to interrupt your best laid plans? to change your path, to change your direction to something else where you actually have this opportunity to let compassion move into action. You see, Jesus, he could have told that crowd, listen, I'm tired, I just need a rest. We can come and gather tomorrow and I'll I'll bring some teaching, but for now, just leave me alone. He could have said to those four men who broke a a hole in his roof, Listen, you've caused damage to my house. I'm going to speak to my lawyers in the morning. But for now, get this man and go home. But no, he let his compassion time and time and time again interrupt his plans and move him into action. And notice this about all of these stories. When compassion moved Jesus to action, when compassion interrupts what he's got plans, in all of these examples, compassion preceded the miraculous. Every time, 
every time Jesus allowed compassion to move him, every time he allowed compassion to change his plans, the miraculous came. The miraculous came. Maybe instead of praying for a mighty move of God, maybe instead of praying for the miraculous to become evident in our lives, maybe our prayer should be for a heart of compassion. Compassion demands action. Compassion interrupts. And thirdly, compassion costs. Compassion costs. Because in our story that Jesus is telling of this Samaritan man, he's, he's allowed compassion to move him to action. He's allowed compassion to interrupt his plans. But he says that he went over to the other side of the road and he began to bind up this man's wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And there's a subtext here to this story that we're not going to dig into about spiritual healing because the oil represents the Holy Spirit and the wine represents the blood of Jesus so there's something else going on here too that maybe we'll touch on a little bit later but this man he goes out of his way and he begins to help this guy on the side of the road and then it says in verse 34 then he set him on his own animal and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him and the next day he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper saying take care of him And whatever you spend over and above this, I'll repay it when I come back. So in this story, the Samaritan man not only goes out of his way, not only drops everything that he's got planned and goes to help this guy, it then costs him financially. A denarius, a day's wage. So he spent two days' wages on helping this complete stranger. And there's other stuff we're not going to get into today about cultural differences and stuff as well that's going on there. But he pays out of his own pocket to help this man who is a total stranger to him. There was a cost. You know, it doesn't cost us anything to hit the care button on Facebook. It doesn't cost us anything that when we ask someone how their day is going and we find out that they are really struggling and we give them a hug, that doesn't cost us anything. It doesn't cost us anything when we give financially out of the abundance that we already have. It doesn't even cost us to pray for people. There's no cost there. In a world where we're settling for drive-by compassion or convenient compassion, can we instead find ourselves pursuing opportunities to demonstrate costly compassion? To allow ourselves to be so moved in the depths of our being that we forget ourselves, that we forget our own needs and we put our money where our mouth is and we go above and beyond. That we stretch ourselves in order to show costly compassion. So think about this. When was the last time that you gave up a whole day? Or a whole weekend to go and serve somebody else? When was the last time that you allowed yourself to be so moved with compassion that you financially gave more than was comfortable? 
You know, the other week I, uh, I, I was talking about how we can help people and, and when people are struggling. And I said, oh, your car's broken. Let me help you fix your car. And then I said, no, no, let me buy you a new car. And then you know what happened after that service? Someone came to me and said, do you know what's on my heart? On my heart is a passion and a desire to pay off someone's mortgage. Imagine if that was all of our hearts, that we had a passion that one day I would be able to buy someone a new car. I would be able to buy someone a house. I would be able to pay for someone to go on holiday because they really need it. I'm willing to put myself out financially. I'm willing to put myself out in my time that I could be spending doing X, Y, and Z. I'm going to put all of that stuff to one side. Forget about me, myself, and I, and put someone else above my needs and let it cost me something. Because when our compassion is shown in such a way that there is no cost to ourselves, is it really compassion? Are we really moved in this way that we defined at the beginning of this message, something in our core of our being? Is that really compassion if it doesn't cost us something? You know, if we can't recall a time recently where we did something like this, perhaps we need to get a little bit closer to Jesus. And I know that might be challenging, and it's meant to be. If we can't recall something in our recent time period where we have been moved to compassion and it's cost us and we've allowed it to interrupt us and we've dropped our own plans and our own purposes and our own desires to serve somebody else, to help somebody else, to do something that goes above and beyond, perhaps we need to get a little bit closer to Jesus. Because when we're really close to Jesus... Life stops being about me. Life stops being about my needs and my wants and my desires and my plans. All of that goes out of the window and my life becomes all about glorifying him, loving the Lord my God with all my heart, mind, soul and strength and loving others, loving my neighbor, serving those who are in need. That is what it looks like when we are close to Jesus. You know, I heard this statement this week that says, to say that you care, but to not act is to not care at all. To say that you care, but not act is to not care at all. And if I'm honest, I understand the sentiment behind the phrase, but I'm not sure I totally agree about it because, and I'm going to give you a little bit of a moment. We can't care about everything. We can't allow every circumstance and every situation and every hardship to move us in the core of our being to drop everything and serve that situation. It's just not possible for us to be moved by everything. But we've got to be moved by something. We've got to be moved by something. We've got to allow compassion to take hold of us and to bring us into action. We've got to allow compassion to interrupt our lives. We've got to allow compassion to cost us in such a way that we do something about it, even if it's just one thing. Now, I think we've all got compassion. We've all got capacity, sorry, to have compassion for a number of things. 
We don't need to be moved by everything, but I think that we have got the capacity to have compassion for some things, a number of things, where we can feel this this deep maternal emotion about a situation that is going on, where we can feel this, this movement in our bowels that yearn to make a difference in a situation. We've all got capacity to have that kind of compassion in a number of ways, But if we're just going to have compassion for one thing, if you're thinking, I can't do all of that, I can't even do two, three, four, five things, if all you can do is one thing, let it be this, to see a lost and broken and hurting world. Your friends, your family, your colleagues, your neighbours, whoever it might be, to see a hurt and broken world And people who don't yet know Jesus and bring them to him. If all you can do, if all you can feel, if the only thing that you can get compassionate about is one thing, let it be this. That we can bring the hope and the peace and the grace and the love of Jesus to those who don't know him. In Matthew chapter 9 it says this. When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And he said to his disciples, hear this, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers. Let's be moved. Let's allow compassion to hit us right in the gut for this thing, for those who aren't in a relationship with Jesus, that we let that shock us, that we let that move us, that we let that interrupt us, that we let that cost us something, that we allow ourselves to be moved into action because the problem is not the harvest. The harvest is plentiful. The crop is fine. We've not got a harvest problem. We've got a worker's problem. If we're going to be moved by just one thing, let it be this, that we become the workers. It's not enough to just say, I'm praying for my friend who doesn't yet know Jesus. Bring them to him. Bring Jesus to him. Show the love of God to her. Be gracious to them. Love on them even when they hurt you. Let yourself be moved by this. If it's just one thing, let it be that. To take the love of Jesus into the world that looks like this man on the side of the road, broken and beaten and naked and left for dead. Because that is what Jesus is talking about. That is the harvest right there. And as we've already talked about, you look at the world and the state of what's going on today. The harvest is plentiful. The need for the love and grace and peace of Jesus is plentiful. But where's the problem? The problem is the workers. We need to let compassion hit us in our gut. Because true compassion can transform lives. True compassion can transform lives. 
I hope that message is sitting somewhere this morning. I hope maybe it's made us all feel a little bit uncomfortable this morning. I hope maybe it's made us sit up and think, okay, what I thought was me being compassionate is actually just me being a nice person. And maybe I need to begin to do a little bit more. Why don't we pray? Father God, I want to be more like you. That is my heart's desire. That I would become like the potter's clay that is just in your hands, ready to be molded and to be shaped into your likeness. So that when people look at me, they see you. When people look at me, they see you. A person who is compassionate. (coughs) A person who is gracious. A person who is slow to anger. A person who is abounding in love and in faithfulness. God, would you begin to move within each and every one of us in this place this morning. That we would begin to get a sense of that compassion that you demonstrated so beautifully through the life of Jesus. That we would allow ourselves to be so stirred by compassion that it brings us to action. That God, we would be so moved that we put aside our own plans, that we would put aside our own needs and we would allow compassion to interrupt whatever we've got going on and to move us into bringing hope into this world. And that God, we wouldn't be afraid of the cost. Whether that's our time or whether that's our finances or whether that's uh, our emotional strength, whatever it might be, let us not be scared of the cost of being compassionate to this hurt and broken world because God, you are my provider. You are everything that I need and more. And so God, we have so much that we can give and we can give and we can give And the beautiful thing is that you will keep on filling us and filling us and filling us so that there is this never-ending flow out of us if only we would be willing to release compassion. And so God, open those floodgates in our lives this morning and let compassion flow through us through the way that we live, through the way that we love, through the things that we say, through the things that we do. God, would you break our hearts? Would you shock us once again? Fill us with compassion, I pray. Move us. Show us where it is that you want us to move because we're not going to all do the same thing. God's got something specific that moves you. And so let him. 
And God's got something specific for the person who sat next to you. And so let him. You do what you can do. You do what God's speaking to you about. Don't worry about the person next to you. You do what God's speaking to you about. You move in the way you can move. You act in the way you can act. And we will see that harvest reaped. We will see that harvest reaped. We will see people coming to know Jesus.